Welcome back to Bad in Bed, the queer sex podcast. Today, Bobby Box and I, I'm Gabrielle Cassell, are having on Rachel Wright, a sex therapist and non-monogamy expert, to talk about all things non-monogamy. Let's get into it. I just want to, like, you know, be clear for those who are interested. Like, there are orgies. They happen. Gabby, what is your experience with non-monogamy, monogamy? What is your relationship style, your preferred relationship style? I think my preferred relationship style is monogamy. You know, I've read all of the non-monogamy E&M textbooks, mm-hmm. right? I've read The Ethical Slut. I've read yes. Two is Better Than One or whatever it's called. And I still feel like monogamy for me right now makes the most sense. And why is that? Honestly, time. Mm-hmm. I, the biggest issue in my in the relationships that I've had in the past is my lack of willingness to make time for my partners or mm-hmm. the amount of time that maybe they need. And maybe I need to stop dating people whose love language is quality time. Mm-hmm. But the, because I haven't been able to show up from a time capacity the way that one person would want me to, it right. seems impossible to me that I'd be able to show up for more than one person in that way. Yeah. Is there anything like uh, beyond just time? Like, is there is there any forms of like insecurity maybe playing a part of it or? It's an interesting question. I understand conceptually why somebody would be interested in non-monogamy, oh, right? Like when I sit down with a pen and a paper, I'm like, of course, yeah. nobody is going to be able to fulfill all of the needs that I have in my life. And and actually, I think I live my life with that awareness, right? Like from one friend, I get my love of talking about work. With another friend, I get my love of talking about fitness. With my partner, I get my love of binging X, Y, and Z TV show. Mm -hmm. And so I do think I operate kind of my life with an understanding that my romantic and sexual relationship, singular relationship, is not my be all and end all. But I only have one romantic and sexual relationship at a time, typically. Though I do think I have supreme supreme amount, (laughs) that a a phrase, of intimacy within my friendships, right? Like I have friends who will come over and will snuggle on the couch or will like take our shirts off and tickle each other's backs. So I am Mm -hmm. getting intimacy in in those ways. Mm -hmm. I don't know. How about you, Bobby? What's your experience with non-monogamy, Ben? So, um... I, I mean, we've had these conversations before. I, I feel like mine's always evolving. My like, mm. and I like that. I like that. Like, you know, I'm kind of, I'm learning as I go. Like I said, like before I came out, which again, I only came out three, four years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, non-monogamy was such a foreign concept. Like I never heard of it. Everybody, all I really knew were like swingers. And those were like, basically the key parties, you know, like you put all your keys in a fish bowl and you pick them out and you have sex with that person's partner or whatever. Wait, I have not heard of a key party. C- couples put their car keys in a fish bowl at a party and you like pick the car key and then they'll be like, oh, that's my car. So you go off with that person's partner. That is fascinating. Yeah. So I don't know if there's much uh, truth. More to it than that. that. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, or if that was just like the way media chose to represent these types of relationships. but. um then when I came out, I think every single person who I 
am now friends with is in a non-monogamous relationship. So it went from like not knowing anybody to knowing everybody. Mm. So, and through that, I'm seeing how they work and, you know, I've some of my closest friends are in a polyamorous relationship and they all live together. They're in a polycule and they're mm. like the happiest people ever and are not so non-judgmental to anybody. And I'm just like that. I see how amazing that is. And I see possibly wanting that or i think maybe open is more my speed but right for right now uh i'm kind of exploring that with my partner we're kind of working through that right now wait so explain the open versus non-monogamy thing to me like what's the difference between you two i know everyone has different definitions yeah um i feel like for open relationships it's just kind of like it can be more intimate, like less just physical. I think ours is going to be a more physical thing if we go that route. Um, but you can kind of date other people if you're in a open relationship. Usually in like my experience with my friends, it's sexual for them. Mm. But do you know open people? Do you know people with like close friends of yours or is it just mostly like online and whatnot? Yeah, I, ha- I know a number of folks who are in open relationships and non-monogamous relationships of all sorts and to Mm -hmm. your point like they seem to be some of the happiest folks who I know um I also just haven't had an experience with a partner where either of us has brought it up um I've never been in a point where I'm like oh this is really something that I'm craving yeah so like you're not even like it hasn't even really piqued your interest to consider it seriously not for my own life it's piqued my interest as something to know more about and to help me make sure that I am choosing monogamy as opposed to being sort of thrust into monogamy because yeah. I've been I've been taught that monogamy is quote unquote the way. Mm-hmm. Actually there's an activist, Robin Oaks, who has this phrase that there is reflexive monogamy and yes. radical monogamy. Mm-hmm. So this idea is that reflexive monogamy is when you're monogamous just because you have been told the story and bought into the story of you go to high school, you go to college, you find your partner, you get married, you only sleep with each other for the rest of your lives, and you have kids. Right. Radical monogamy is when you do the research on all the different types of relationship structures. Maybe you try them out. Maybe you don't. You really sort of interrogate the concept of monogamy. And then even after doing your research, you decide that monogamy is for you. And so I like to think that I fall into the radical monogamy camp. Yeah. But my sexuality has evolved over the last 26 years and so i imagine that my preferred relationship structure will also evolve so for now i like to say i'm radically radically monogamist but Um, who knows what that will look like two years from now i don't necessarily believe in monogamy Mm -hmm. but i primarily practice monogamy okay yes yes that 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 yeah that's just like it just makes sense that like you know over time things might get boring with a partner Mm -hmm. Or not, you know, it might you need some spicing up. And that spicing up could come in the form of, like, I feel like people think that when you open a relationship or you're not monogamous, that that means something's lacking in your relationship. And it's not, that's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. You don't use a open a non-monogamous relationship to repair anything in a relationship. It's like, it's an opportunity. It's not a circumstance. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I'm excited to talk to Rachel because she's pretty open about the relationship that she's in, the relationships, plural, that she's in on Instagram. And just, I know Instagram is not always reality. You don't see everything that goes on behind the scenes, but getting to witness their love just makes my heart just like pitter-patter. Nobody at the station now, it's just a box on.
Rachel Wright is a licensed therapist, sex educator, and mental health advocate who is bisexual and polyamorous and an all-around gem of a human. Rachel, we are so excited to talk to you about all things non-monogamy today. I'm so excited to be here with you two. This is Let's do this every day. <laughs> Amazing. Um, before we get into the fun stuff, for our listeners who aren't, you know, sex writers or relationship therapists, we'd love to ask you to just start by explaining the different types of non-monogamy, like polyamory, swinging, open relationships. Are they the same? Are they different? Give us a lexicon lesson. <laughs> love this. <laughs> so no, they are not all the same and not all ethical non-monogamy is the same. I think what's really important off the top is to just differentiate between ethical non-monogamy and non-ethical non-monogamy. Ethical non-monogamy is what we're going to talk about today. Non-ethical non-monogamy is cheating on someone. Mm. Plain and simple. So there's no consent involved. No one knows what's going on. That is not what we're talking about today. And I think that one of the biggest myths right off the top is, oh, ethical non-monogamy or polyamory, that's just an quote-unquote excuse to cheat. Yeah. And it's not inherently because there's consent. So I think that that distinction just right away is really, really important. Um, but going back to your actual question, ethical non-monogamy is a giant umbrella term. So the way that I like to view it is literally the biggest, most annoying umbrella on the streets of New York that you've had to walk past, covers all <laughs> of ethical non-monogamy. And under that are things like polyamory, swinging, open relationships. You could have things like monogamish, which is something that people say. Um, some people choose to have don't ask, don't tell. I'm personally and professionally not a fan of that uh, setup. Um, but there are lots of different ways to be ethically non-monogamous. All you have to do is make sure that everybody knows what's going on and that everybody is consenting. And that's why it's ethical. Couldn't you just say that like if it's not ethical, it's flat out cheating. You'd think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Like, I think though most people hear non-monogamy right. and they have this idea of either one person is being forced into it. Oh. And so this idea of it being ethical is that no one is being coerced or forced or tricked or pressured um, and it really being consensual. But the problem is, is we don't even teach about consent. If we're not teaching kids about consent, then we don't have adults that know about consent. Mm. And then we can't consent to being non-monogamous because we don't know what consent is, right? Yeah. So we, we have to know what we're saying yes to. Absolutely. So wait, so in that vein, if somebody hears this podcast and is interested in exploring ethical non-monogamy, how do they figure out which of the titles under that giant umbrella is best for them and works for, for them or maybe them and their partner if they're already pre-partnered? So two different answers. There's the pre-work that you can do, which is reading books like Polysecure and The Ethical Slut and Opening Up and really getting definitions of these things or taking a workshop, you know, and really getting the fundamental, like, what does this mean? Mm -hmm. And one of the exercises that I even have clients do is like, what is your dream life look like? in terms of ethical non-monogamy. And fun. I love that. It's really fun. What's hysterical is it's usually not at 
all what ends up happening in reality. Often the things that you think will be challenging or hard are not, and then you'll be blindsided by something that you had no idea was going to be a thing. And all right. of a sudden it's a thing. Um, and so it's, it's nice to try and see, you know, I thought that I wanted to focus more on my bisexuality and explore relationships with women when my partner and I first opened up. And I very quickly was like, nope, too insecure. And that was like my safe space. But I actually didn't want that at the beginning. And so it wasn't until I was out in the wild, you know, experiencing the things that I started to figure out what was best for me. And that's what I recommend people do is kind of try things on for size, both in terms of reading and academically, and then also in doing. Would you um, recommend that couples who want to explore non-monogamy, would you recommend they stay monogamous for the start? Because I've had a lot of friends who are non-monogamous, but they say like, it's important to build a foundation in monogamy before you do that because it's got, it just develops a sense of trust with each other. I have very mixed feelings around this because I think that the reason why this works is because of our fucked up culture and because we've only given monogamy as the option. So I have a hard time endorsing that because it's playing into this idea that like monogamy builds trust And then non-monogamy challenges that trust. Mm. And that idea in itself is the opposite of what we want with ethical non-monogamy. And it's damaging. Yes, exactly. And yeah, if it works, like it works. So I, I think that the thing that's important is if we think about it as relationships, our relationships, our relationships, our relationships. So we have lots of friends. Sometimes when we're focused on building more trust with one of our friends, we're investing more time and energy into that relationship and we're not seeing our other friends as often. It's the exact same thing with our relationships, whether they're romantic or not. It ebbs and flows. So instead of looking at it as let's be monogamous and build trust for this period of time, it's like how can we pour into each other and build a foundation while we're being ourselves? Well, if you don't mind me asking, um, why do we all adhere to monogamy from birth, basically? Do you want, it's learned. Do right? you want to know the truth? Like the real truth? Absolutely. Please. It's, it's just religion. Okay. It's literally just religion. And the problem is, is that it has become such a monster at this point that mm. we can't even trace it back to that. It's, it's so inherent in our culture and who we are, that it's the same idea as when we're born, people assume that we're heterosexual until stated otherwise. Like that's fucked up too. There's all of these assumptions placed on this baby. And really instead we could look at it and say, who are you in this world? And who do you want to be in this world? And what comes naturally to you? Um, And for me, polyamory comes far more naturally than monogamy. Um, And I can tell you that from the many years of anxiety that I had in monogamous relationships and then the decrease of anxiety in my polyamorous relationships. 
I feel like in the past I've heard you talk about being polyamorous for you as being akin to being bisexual and that they're both like one is a sexual orientation and one is a relationship orientation. I'd love to ask you to speak more to that, right? Like is our propensity for monogamy or non-monogamy sort of innate to our being? I think that it's different for different people. I have clients and friends and partners that experience polyamory as they experience their sexuality like I do where it is mm-hmm. just as much as I'm bisexual. Like you said, I have red hair. I am polyamorous. Like it is who I am. Mm. I do know people who choose to be ethically non-monogamous or poly or swingers or whatever as a choice to fill a certain cup or desire or want but it could get taken away or they could say, you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. For me, that would be like saying, I don't want to be myself anymore. And so there's a difference there. And I don't, I don't think that it is as black and white as sexuality in terms of, you know, there are people that definitely choose it and it is a lifestyle for some. For me, it's not. And I also don't take offense if I hear someone say like, oh, your chosen lifestyle of poly. Like I understand what they're saying and don't take offense to it. And I didn't really choose it, right? Like I I look back at diary entries from when I was 14 and like that 14-year-old girl did not know anything other than monogamy and was writing a lot of things about how she wished monogamy did not exist, just not in that Mm. language. So did you have to come out as polyamorous and do you have to continually come out as such in the same way that I know as a bisexual woman, I have to continuously come out as bi? 100%. Yeah. It's a very similar thing. They fall into the same conversation very easily for me. That makes it a little easier, quite frankly. And yeah, it's a conversation each time, you know, somebody sees polyam on my profile or on a dating app if somebody sees ENM. And they're like, oh, my wife doesn't know I'm here. And I'm like, hmm, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I guess a big thing uh, with a lot of people I've spoken to about the subject is they're very concerned about jealousy. Uh, You mentioned that it's a perfectly normal response. So like, how would you recommend somebody deal with like the feelings of jealousy? So, okay. I love this question because to me, this is like how... How do you recommend someone cope with feelings of hunger? Like, ask yourself what you're craving, go find it, eat it. Jealousy is the exact, and I and I I know that that tone sounded like super condescending, and I don't I don't mean it like that at all. But I mean it that way in terms of we we make jealousy this really big beast, and all mm. it is is just a combination of a lot of feelings that we sit down and ask ourselves, what is this jealousy telling me I need? Just like hunger, right? What, what am I hungry for? Sometimes it's protein. Sometimes it's carbohydrates. Sometimes you have a sweet tooth. Like your body tells you what it is that you're needing. And that craving, that's the same conceptual idea as jealousy. It's a craving of something. And so maybe it's a craving of, I've never experienced a baseball game with my partner. They went to a baseball game with that other person. I want to go. And so maybe it's a craving of having the same experience. Maybe it is, you know, something that you're not 
getting enough of. Maybe you see your partner giving someone more touch and you realize, hey, wow, I'm feeling jealous. Oh, I want more touch. And then you go to your partner and say, hey, I noticed you were touching so-and-so. I had some jealousy feelings come up and I realized I would love more touch from you. And so really all jealousy is, is this like check engine light of like, hey, something's, something's a little off. Like your needs aren't fully being met and or an insecurity is popping up. And that's totally normal and okay. But we try to go through life avoiding feeling jealous by creating rules and things like that. And I don't know about you, but when I was in monogamous relationships, I also experienced jealousy. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, it, yeah. it wasn't not there. Right. To me, it is such a gift and an invitation of, of an emotion to really look and see what we're missing and what we're needing. So it sounds like the recipe is self-awareness meets communication. 100%. And the, you know, the reality is, is that we don't get taught how to communicate or how to be super self-aware. And so that's why so many people then say, well, it doesn't work. And it's not right. that it doesn't work. It's that we, not all of us have the skills because we're not given the skills as kids in the way that our education system is set up. And it's really unfortunate. What's the best way to kind of, if you're not used to it, to kind of break into the world of non-monogamy? Like what's, what, what are some of like the, the safer steps toward getting there? Two things come to mind right away. Number one is deciding if you want to explore with your partner or solo. And that can always change. That could change in a day. That could be the difference of going on a different app. And then mm. I'd say dabble online. Like try out an app that has a feature for ethically non-monogamous people. So Field is a great app um, for right. ENM folks and, and sex positive folks, frankly. And also OkCupid has an ethically non-monogamous toggle setting. Really? You will only see other ENM people and ENM people will see you. Okay. And it's really nice because it gets rid of like, you know, the my wife mm. doesn't know I'm here, folks. Uh, so okay. <laughs> so I, I think that the, the combination of deciding like, do I want to take this step with my partner? Do I want to take this step solo? And then getting on an app. What people don't generally see about non-monogamy is that the concept that like you want to stay with this person forever, no matter what, and you'll change the relationship to be with that person is absolutely incredibly romantic as opposed to being yes. like, well, I'm going to stay with this person and cut off all of my desires because this is like, will make us most comfortable. Bingo. Bingo. Yeah. I, I used to, um, I had a therapist mentor that once I heard her say, you're married, you're not dead. Mm. When right. someone was talking about having desires for other people. And it's true. Like it's, it's so true. We have this idea that we get married and we're monogamous. And then like what we don't find other people attractive or like right. don't and you suddenly refer to your partner as a ball and chain. Like, it's like, what? I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. And in Polly too, I was actually just doing an interview yesterday about breakups in monogamous relationships. And I used, um, breakups in polyamory as an, as an example for contrast. 
And she was so surprised to hear what I was explaining. And what I was explaining was, is it's not a breakup conversation. It's a relationship transition conversation of the way that things are currently going right now, regardless of context, they, they're not working. So what needs to shift? I want you to stay in my life, just like you were saying, Bobby, like mm -hmm. I want you in my life. So what relationship model is going to make most sense for us right now? Yeah. And you don't then lose people in the way that you do in this monogamy, like black and white mm. land of like, yeah. if they yeah. are not that one person that you end up with, you never can talk to them again. I find that queer people or non-fully heterosexual people are less likely to venture into this type of territory. Do you have any idea? Is it because we don't tend to, we kind of march to the beat of our own drum? Like we're used to not being part of society at large? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought so. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Um, and frankly, the, the women that I have as clients that identify that are both cis and right. identify as heterosexual and are married to a man, they have the hardest time typically unwriting a lot of the scripts mm. right. um, that society has given us. Um, and so, yeah, I do think that being a queer woman um, and having owned that prior or people who have owned that prior does make it a bit easier in terms of you've already owned a part of yourself that you've had to stand up and say is mm. not quote unquote the mainstream. Right. Which is like so weird. Yeah. I, like that, that whole concept is so weird to me. I, it's so bizarre. So the people who worry about going into changing their relationship, not necessarily like any form of change in their relationship would change the love that they have for each other. Say like, you see someone kissing your partner and it makes you jealous and it just, it scars you a little bit. Like, is that possible or is that just silly? It's not silly. It's not silly at all. It's okay. so not silly. And all of the things that come into your mind like that are not silly. I want to encourage anyone and everyone to give themselves so much grace and compassion when it comes to this topic, because we are so programmed. I mean, as we've been talking through, like you can tell just from this conversation, like it keeps coming back to like this weird norm programming that of like heterosexual yeah, monogamous, totally. like da, 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 da. Um, and so what I would say to people who are worried about their love changing is that if your love is not changing in your relationship, I'd be more worried. Like I'd be far <laughs> less, I'd be far more concerned if, things felt so stagnant to where your relationship was not evolving and growing and changing, then if you're having some conflict and some growth points and some uncomfortable feelings and are growing through those together, that's going to create a long lasting right. connected relationship, not trying to put up rules and boundaries to avoid things that will create uncomfortable situations that you'll then never have to talk through so that you never have to get close and feel uncomfortable. It's, it's the uncomfortable situations that bring us close together. I love that. That's honestly perfect because I feel like a lot of relationships that are monogamous, sometimes it's the monotony of everything that makes the issues arise. With ethical non-monogamy, you are really forced to face your insecurities because right. they're brought up immediately. 
Like even in the examples that like you gave Bobby, right? Like seeing my Mm partner, like somebody else kissing Mm. my partner, like that came from somewhere in you where like you're a little worried about that. Like that's why you use that example. Absolutely. (laughs) Right? Like we, we all have this stuff. It, it shoves us into a space of here are your insecurities, face Mm -hmm. them. Right. And that is so fucking scary. It's terrifying. Yeah. 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 So Gabby knows this uh, from me because I've told it to her like a hundred plus times. Um, (laughs) But there's a framework that I use for conversations that can totally apply to this. So the uh, it's A-E-O, acknowledge, explain, and offer. So the acknowledge is in your example, hey, I know we have literally never talked about monogamy and non-monogamy before, right? That could be an acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. Um, right. An okay. acknowledgement could be, hey, I know that um, you had mentioned wanting to learn more about ethical non-monogamy after we saw that movie. Whatever the, igno- right. it's kind of like, this is what's going on. Here's the elephant in the room. Right. This is the state of the union. Let's just name, call spade a spade. <laughs> This is, this is what's up. <laughs> right. That's A. Mm. Then E mm. is an I feel statement. So okay. in this case, I can imagine the person coming to their partner, having never talked about it before, probably feels nervous, uh, cautious, scared. Um, so the statement could sound like, I feel nervous to talk to you about some relationship stuff, right? It's literally that simple. It's I feel, and then an actual emotion, and then mm-hmm. what's creating surrounding that feeling. So you right. have- So how long does E come after A? Can it A be like a seed you plant like a few weeks ahead of the conversation uh-huh. or is it like boom, boom? So it's boom, boom. And, okay. and you can still, I definitely recommend planting a seed and not only planting a seed, but scheduling the conversation. Right. So before the A, it's, hey, I would love to have a conversation. Can we get some time on the calendar? Mm. Okay, right. So it. like, we're not going to blindside our partners while they're emptying the dishwasher yes. and be like, hey, so I think <laughs> I want to be Polly. Right. <laughs> they right. Like, drop the mugs everywhere. <laughs> so we've acknowledged, we've explained, and then the offer is what you think can take you one step closer to the outcome that you want. So it's a okay. suggestion because often what we do is we tell our partner how we feel and then we like throw it at them and then we leave it. We're like, now you do it. Right. We're like, right. I feel nervous. And the partner's like, <laughs> why? <"Kay?"> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So with this, you can say what I would really like to do, right? This could be your offer. What I would really like to do is talk to you about this book I started reading um, and have it be a space of non-judgment. How do you feel about that? How does that sound? Right? So you suggest something and then you check in like, what do you think? How does that sound? And then they have the opportunity to say, that sounds horrible. I don't want to talk about that. Right. Right. Or sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Let's go. And then great. Like now you've named it, you've expressed how you feel, you've made a suggestion and there you are. 
So that's a great framework right. for literally any conversation. Um, it can be adapted yeah. for family, for bosses, for partners, like mm. anything. Right. So if this conversation doesn't go well and they're not receptive to the idea, I know an easy solution would be like, okay, well, you either um, suppress your desires or you break up. Is it never like, can there be ways to kind of work toward that or make someone more comfortable Absolutely. or? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that often um, because of our conditioning, we have responses like, oh, I could never do that. Or that's not, yeah. that's not for me. Um, and I think that oftentimes when people say that they don't even know what they're saying that they can't do. Mm, totally. Right. It's just this like, Oh God, I could never like mm. the ideas, uh, the feelings. Mm. That, yeah. They haven't even put thought right, into like it. The, it's just, yes. So it's, it's, it's definitely possible and plausible for someone to actually consent and also then not act on it. It could be that you and your partner are in an ethically non-monogamous relationship where one person is not, currently seeing other people or involved with other people romantically, sexually at all. You know, you go through phases and ebb and flow. Kyle and I are not always yeah. dating at yeah. the same time, right? If, if we yeah. weren't dating a couple, our relationship wouldn't be as like zipped up tight as it is. We'd have way more mm. lopsided schedules. Yeah. And there's also this idea that people who are in non-monogamous relationships are like, you know, some are, but so, like having orgies or having sex all the time. And it's like most of my friends who are uh, non-monogamous are like, I haven't had sex with somebody who isn't my main partner for like, I don't know, months. Like, it's like, I haven't had, you know, like it's, I think there's just, there's an idea that you're just this sex crazed individual, yes. but it's not that way at all. In no. most No, cases. it's not. I mean, you know, I like to say that just like in monogamous relationships, you have weeks and months where you have like upswings and then you have downtime. Yeah. Like it's really the same. Like if, if, if I don't want to have sex with one person, I'm not going to want to have sex with four people at the same time. Right. So like my libido is still my libido. And that is separate from my relationship design. Right. And that's really important too. Um, mm. I mean, there definitely are orgies. I just want to like, you know, be clear for those who are mm. interested. Like there are orgies. Oh, they happen. I mean, yeah. they're wonderful. Three sums are great. <laughs> like there yes. are so many things to experience that. Um, I, I mean, even I, <laughs> I'm still learning things every day. At, like I'm blushing mm -hmm. right now. Like I, I still, I'm a sex <laughs> educator and I'm in my thirties and I'm learning new things that my body can do. Yeah. And that's exciting. And I, I love talking about this because every time we can talk about this and get mm. this conversation out there, one more person can feel a little less shame. Okay. So my question for you is I'm, I'm, Oh, I've only ever been in monogamous relationships. I don't necessarily believe in monogamy. I understand sort of the benefits of an ethically non-monogamous relationship and all the steps to get there. Here's where I have question, and that is how the hell do you have time to manage multiple partners? Because I know consistently the issue in my relationships, in my monogamous relationships, is that I have a hard time both meeting my journalistic deadlines and also my partner's time needs. So in a polyamorous relationship, you have so many other folks' time needs to meet. Are you just like using Google, the shit out of Google calendars? Like what does that look like so, from a time perspective? Yes. <laughs> yes and yes and yes and yes and yes. Um, 
Yes. All of the things. You are completely correct in terms Mm. of time is actually the only thing that we have a limit on, right? A lot of people think uh, more Mm. in terms of the the question that Bobby asked about like, will our love shift? And they think about like, will I get less love? And love is like this unlimited well. Time is actually like a pie. Like if you take a slice of pie away, it's gone, Mm -hmm. right? Like we're recording this podcast. We're using this time to do this. We're not doing anything else during this time. It's for the podcast. Um, So when we give our time, like that is gone. That is assigned. So yes, there is a reality. And do you have friends? Yes. Do you have family members? I do. Do you somehow find time to talk to them? I do. So why would this be any different? I love that. Yeah. <laughs> right? We we inherently put romantic partners in this completely separate box relationally. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to be. It, it's, it can be that all of our relationships are really important. And sometimes different relationships take priority. Right. Sometimes our parents are more important than our partners and sometimes our partners are more important than our parents. That changes all the time. It's the same thing with friends and partners and different partners and and all of that. So that that would be my answer is like. You just do. You just do. It it, it would be the same thing as like I would like to make new friends, but I'm really busy. It's like, well, okay, something's got to give like. Rachel, before we close out, are there any other misconceptions around ethical monogamy that you want to take over the mic and break down for us? Oh, man. Two two things just popped in. Number one, that in a heterosexual monogamous relationship, that the male is the one that is driving the decision to open up the relationship. That is the assumption. Mm. And I will tell you that nine times out of 10, it is the opposite. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's... Oh, fascinating. It's very funny that that's the assumption because I think I've literally met like two couples where that was the case, like in all of the people that I've talked to. Um, So that's a big Mm. one. And then another Mm. one I would say is that your sexuality dictates your relationship design. So I've heard a lot of people say to me, for example, well, of course you're poly, you're bi. As though if I chose to be monogamous with Kyle then I would have this hole inside of me where like space for a woman should live because, because in this like societal bisexuality view, 50% of me is like not being fulfilled, (laughs) which is of course not the case. Um, (laughs) Wow. I'm so glad you said this. Yeah. It it does not determine your relationship design at all. Um, It can sometimes inform it. It can influence it just like, Everything in our life influences everything. Rachel, you are such a wealth of knowledge. Bobby and I just love you so much. Your energy, your knowledge, the way you communicate things. Um, tell our followers where they can find you so they can keep learning from you. Oh, thank you. I love you guys. Come hang with me on Instagram as long as my account's still there. You know, we're <laughs> keeping our fingers crossed. Every day I wake up, I'm like, sweet, still there. <laughs> so my handle is the right the W-R-I-G-H-T underscore Rachel, R-I-C-H-E-L. And then my website is rachelwrightnyc.com. If there's nobody on the bus. 
Rachel, we love you so much. There's no better expert to speak on this subject, so thanks again for speaking with us. On next week's episode, we're talking about painful sex. Gabby and I will be sharing personal experiences, offer tips for those who experience pain during sex, and we'll be chatting with Dr. Uchenna Osai about the pelvic floor. And hey, while you're here, why don't you rate our podcast and leave a review? It really helps the show and we'd really appreciate it. Okay, thanks. Bye.